Welcome to episode 92 of the Roger Snipes Show. The Roger Snipes Show. This podcast is brought to you by Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium is one of the most essential minerals required by the body. The problem with what we have today is that much of our soil are destroyed which means deficiency in much of the food which we buy. The level of stress in modern society is more too, which means magnesium depletion in our body. Overall, a large majority of the population is deficient in magnesium and they wouldn't even know. Some common symptoms of low magnesium are fatigue, tiredness for no logical reason, digestive issues, muscle cramps, weak pumps when training, irregular heartbeat, just to name a few. Magnesium Breakthrough has seven blends of magnesium with a precursor to increase chances of absorption. To get your hands on these high quality supplements, visit bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. That website link again is bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. One of my goals is to sleep like a baby and feel like a champion during the day. One of the hacks that I have to do this is red light therapy. Now, red light therapy is amazing. It helps with muscle size, strength, endurance, speed, cognitive ability, soreness, reduce fatigue, muscle recovery, increased range of motion in the joints, knee pain, rheumatoid arthritis, increased melatonin, boost production of endogenous anti-inflammatories, increase energy, boost collagen, and that's not even the end of it. I use the Advantage 1500 by Red Light Rising, and I feel like a superhero on a mission during the day and a bear on hibernation <laughs> in the evening. If you're looking to boost your overall health, then get yourself a red light therapy panel by visiting www.redlightrising.co.uk and use code SNIPES5 for 5% off. Yo, what's going on guys? Hope all is blessed and welcome back to the Roger Snipes show. Yes, so uh, all is fabulous as always. And as always, the weather in UK is very sporadic. I don't know, why do I keep talking about the weather? <laughs> I don't know, I'm just intrigued when it comes to the weather. Um, but I just wanted to share something with you and it might be interesting for those of you who are always looking to progress with training. Now, as you probably know, I do intermittent fasting um, for, well, every day, to be honest with you. But it does vary on the type of fasting that I do per day. Some days I will fast for like 20 hours and some days I might fast for 18 hours. Um, yeah, it varies. And sometimes I will do an OMAD, 
you know, with the one meal a day. It just depends on my previous days and um, just sort of like what I've got uh, lined up throughout the next day. I kind of plan it ahead. Um, but one of the things that has worked to my favor is when I decide to indulge, like, you know, people will call it a refeed. So after, you know, um, having days of, let's say, uh, almost like restrictions, and um, I, I might do like a, a cyclical um, keto as well as an intermittent fast. So I'll have a moment where I'll splash some carbohydrates on the plate. <laughs> and it might be quite a lot, you know, it could be in the form of sin food or I might just uh, increase the amount of calories. And the body soaks it up so well. And what I would say to you, which I've been uh, doing to, using to my advantage, is planning extremely heavy lifts the day after. Uh, not necessarily on the day, but the day after. So if I'm going to, let's say, uh, have a refeed on a Thursday, then a Friday is the day when I will go for a heavy lift, you know? And and this is where I've been doing my PBs, uh, lifting some, some mad weight. Um, but what you might notice as well is that it doesn't continue throughout the other training sessions that, that you know, I lift reasonably heavy, but on those refeed days is when I really go for it. So kind of plan your training that way. If you know you're going to indulge or let's say you, I don't know, like one evening you kind of slip up for some reason, you, you head into the cupboard and you're like, ah, and you've got some, some biscuits or some cake that shouldn't be there. <laughs> and then you end up devouring it and uh, you know feel a bit guilty take that and just uh, devote that to your training session the next day and actually tell yourself that you are going to do a PB based on the cons consumption um, what also comes in handy is trying to make sure you get good sleep as well um, especially if you've had some form of kryptonite and it could potentially affect your quality of sleep um, try and take a couple of magnesiums as well, um, you know, to, to help um, increase your deep sleep, you know, sleep and uh, red light therapy, blue light blockers and, you know, good quality, uh, high calorie food with some quality sleep, man, you can really do some wonders in the gym. So that's just a free tip I thought I'd throw in there. Uh, yeah. Cool. So today's guest uh, goes by the name of John Jackwish. I think that's the way you pronounce his surname. I came across John's... Wait a minute, just got a couple of messages come through. My bad. I came across John's um, uh, page, or shall I say him as a person, through... Um, I think it was from a video that I had watched and it was titled weightlifting is a waste of time. And I was like, what? I think it was weight, no, weight training is a waste of time. <laughs> I was like, um, okay. Like, why would someone say something like that? 
you know, you know, I understand that some people might not gravitate to going to the gym, but it doesn't mean that it's a waste of time. So I thought, you know, who is this person? And I learned that this guy was a doctor as well. And I thought, why would a doctor say something like that? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, this guy is probably um, annoyed quite a few people, let's say. And that's me putting it in a very user-friendly manner. Um, besides, you know, it's been proven that not only movement and being active is beneficial for health, but lean tissue itself has been linked to longevity and health span. So why would anyone say that? And as I looked further and the discussion which we have uh, on this podcast, he breaks down the, the mechanics and the efficiency of lifting um, weights, um, taking us through the, the plane of movement and explains what's going on with the muscle and why he feels this. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. I won't give too much away right now. It's something I'd like you to uh, take down, listen, and it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. I mean, he dissects uh, what type of training would work. And, um, you know, in terms of, it's all about efficiency. It's not just about moving the weight, it's efficiency. As we've learned over the years that, you know, if you go to the gym and you're just focusing on, let's say if we're talking about bench press and you're just focusing on uh, moving the weight away from your chest, um, then, you know, you've got part of the idea together, um, but you need to think, okay, what is your goal? Uh, your goal is to rec recruit more lean tissue, like you're trying to build uh, more lean tissue. So in doing this, you have to try and get your body to evolve um, to the situation. And the only way to evolve is to put it through strain, through stress. And this stress can come in a form of um, different types of uh, adaptations like uh, slow eccentrics or um, pulses, isometric holds, uh, the different ways. And we go through another way or another explanation of what is utilized slightly in the gym. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's good. But I must say as well that in this podcast, there's quite a few diversions. Man, like we, we're talking about, we, we talk about health and fitness on the whole, you know, different types of diets. Um, you know, like if people have a, a very dogmatic approach on a certain uh, diet type and, you know, different training systems, but it's, it's really cool. But we, we do, we do divulge, we do divert, should I say, and start talking about random stuff. So I hope that you still enjoy the podcast. It's very, it's very organic in the way it happens. But, you know, some people like might think, oh, stick to the topic, don't change. Um, if, if you want it to always stick to the topic, then this podcast might not be for you. Um, but... Other than that, I, it was fun. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Uh, yes, yeah, so Dr. John 
Jackwish. Uh, he's the author of Weightlifting is a Waste of Time and the inventor of Osteo Strong and Fortigen and the X3 training system. He began his experience in life sciences after being told by his mother that she has been diagnosed with osteoporosis. He was formerly a member of the board of directors of American Bone Health and the editorial board of the Journal of Steroids and Hormonal Science. Let's bring on Dr. John Jackwish. So, John, how you doing, my friend? Roger, I'm fantastic. Uh, things are great. How are you? I'm great. I'm super. Good. It's, uh, what, 5 o'clock in the afternoon for me. What about yourself? What time is it for you? Uh, it's 9 a.m. 9? Okay. Nice and early. Yeah. Have you had your coffee yet? Do you drink coffee? You know, uh, I quit drinking coffee. Okay. Yeah. Like, I just... just um, I'm running an experiment uh, having to do with like I was pretty hard on my stomach for a couple of years. When I started fasting, I was doing bulletproof coffee. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of realized like the, the fat in the bulletproof coffee was just kind of a crutch. I mean, yeah, like it kills your appetite, but it's also just calories you don't need. Right. So then I just started drinking black coffee and that killed my appetite and it was great. Um, I think I, uh, at the same time, maybe somewhere in North Africa, I got H. pylori. I got an H. pylori infection in my stomach. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. 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 It was definitely some third world country I picked that up from. Um, but that is like the recipe for like drinking black coffee on an empty stomach and having an H. pylori infection is like the recipe for stomach ulcers. Oh, man. Man. Yeah. How, how did you get rid of it? Did it did it take a long time to get rid of? H. pylori. Yeah. Yo, I had it for years. Right. And I didn't know I had it, and then finally, like, it was a friend of mine. He's an anesthesiologist. We're sitting there like one morning, and I'm I'm drinking coffee, and it's just like he can see I'm like really uncomfortable. I'm having trouble breathing, and he's like, "Does your stomach feel terrible right now?" Yeah. He says, "Is it get worse over time?" Like, did it, we started drinking black coffee. Was was that a problem before? And I was like, no. Right. Okay. So you got to get checked out for H. pylori. And he just diagnosed me by just observing me. Wow. And uh, he was right. Wow. Yeah. And so I took the test. It confirmed I had it. And uh, yeah, so it's really just to heal the H. pylori. I'm not anti-coffee or anything. Right, right. Got you. Yeah. Got you. I mean, it's been, I haven't had caffeine in like, like a month. Which is kicking caffeine, man. Like, I I can understand. Like, supposedly, like nicotine and caffeine are the two most addictive substances on earth. They're worse than like opiates. Now, op opiates are a different category because, like, you feel horrible if you don't have them. It's less of it's more of like a mechanical addiction. Like, you need a receptor site filled, an opiate receptor site filled, as opposed to. Um, just feeling like you need it all the time. And 
I made basically the same mistake. You know, I'm not supposed to make the same mistake twice. I'm a scientist, right? No, just like everybody else. So, so, so but listen to this, listen. So Dave Asprey, I was hanging out with him once and I see him do like a spray under his tongue. And I'm like, is that nicotine? He goes, yeah, yeah. It's a great way to kill your appetite during a fast. And I was like, oh, let me try it. And then a couple months later, one of my friends um, who is from, um, he's from Yorkshire. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in between Leeds and Manchester. Um, and a uh, beautiful place. Uh, so he says, um, are you addicted to that thing? And without thinking about it, I'm like, no, but I really like it. And I think about it all the time. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So had to had to go through getting over that. Mm. Yeah. Like, That's interesting. Like I've heard Dave Asprey on on some of his books. He has he's mentioned about uh, nicotine. He said, like, make sure you get the clean nicotine if you do decide you want to, you know, have it as part of your biohack. I don't know if he'd mentioned much about um it being a like an appetite suppressant though but anyway we can i don't know probably dabble in that uh, a bit later but i want to oh go ahead all vasoconstrictors are an appetite vasoconstrictors yeah for sure that that i do know of so it's not quite optimal to have just before training i would assume well we take caffeine before (laughs) that's weird right that is uh well Yes and no. Like your heart does move faster because there's constriction on, you know, on the blood transportation through the body. The aortic wave doesn't go as far. So the heart starts working harder, which is why you feel so alert. Right. Yeah, so the you know, mechanism works, gives us energy. Mm. It, is it a better workout? I don't know. Like I, I could argue <clears throat> that like, stimulants actually don't really help uh in most most like sports performance scenarios um by there's people who swear by them and there's people that are like my secret is i don't ever mess around with stimulants Mm -hmm. you want you want more blood flow not less yeah exactly Mm -hmm. exactly Mm. anyway we'll 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 come around to stuff like that i want to i want to talk about you so um, I came across your page and I thought, wow, there's some, there's some brave statements here. And there's some comments where people are becoming a bit brave as well. <laughs> um, you have a very... Hey, no, don't confuse stupidity <laughs> with courage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, man. Just, it's entertaining. Like, yeah, I'm like trying to talk to uh, like the zombie horde. <laughs> yeah hey i have some science here <laughs> like fuck you yeah yeah they don't it, it's it's basically like a situation of science denial but i can't blame them like and if you and i are we close in age i'm 44 i'm You're 42 younger. so okay yeah. all right yeah so you know basically same generation like we grew up looking at different athletes and bodybuilders and they said certain things. And, you know, like I remember the first time I heard that Arnold trained uh, two hours per workout twice a day, six days a week. 
like I was smart enough, even, you know, in the sixth grade to go, I can't lift weights four hours a day with high intensity. That's just like the dumbest thing I've ever read. Like, no, he never did that. And he admitted he never did that, you know, later on. But it was like, like we've been taught so much crap. Uh, I, I don't know if it's as conspiratorial as, you know, like the Weeder Corporation wanted everybody to fail so they could think they needed these supplements. Uh, like, I've heard that story. And it's like, no, I mean, Ben and Joe Weeder, they're business guys. They're not like hawksters. Yeah. So I, I think there was just... There was no scientific process. Somebody would try one thing and another person would try a different thing. And the only science we saw in sports science was comparing two bad programs. Well, mm -hmm. is that a scientific process? Yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of. But like, how did you develop the programming? Which arbitrary. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like all of our workouts are really kind of arbitrary. And uh, I, I just... I was in the medical device business. I developed a medical device to treat my mother's osteoporosis. And, uh, and I actually did my, uh, my first testing, the first real trial of that device uh, was at University of East London. Uh, they, they did this study in uh, the Stratford Village surgery. Um, you, there's a tube stop right near there. I'm sure you've been there. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that's for all those who are planning a trip to London, that's where the new mall is. Uh, also, well they built olympic park and then they turned it into a westfield mall which was genius it's it's yeah. incredible yeah right they got to use the bill it's basically they got the building for free or i don't know how the finances that deal but it's just like so many people build an olympic park and then it's just like the one in china i've been to the one in china after the olympics it's just falling apart right now really oh yeah like aluminum china. panels have fallen off the side of it it's sad it is a question of what do you do afterwards? You got to do something with it. Okay, you know, it looks spectacular on the day. Now what? Right, right. Well, there's a lot of smart people in your country that are like, uh-huh, we're going to use this as an opportunity mm. as opposed to having no plan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Can I, can I just move a, a, a little bit just to, to talk a bit about, you know, your controversial unorthodox approach to fitness? Um, but you also, okay, let's, let's, let's take that to your book, the title of your book, uh, mm -hmm. where you, you say that weightlifting is a waste of time. Is that the title of your book? What, what, weightlifting what? is a waste of time, that's correct. Weightlifting is a waste of time. You know, I, when I saw that, I was like, wow. And I went to the gym today, I don't know, like it seemed good. It seemed like a good use of time. Yeah. So, I, mean, so, I don't know. It seemed like I've been doing all right. Now I'm thinking I've been sure. wasting all my time. So uh, so what I'm really saying, you notice I didn't say resistance training is a waste of your time. Ooh. Because resistance training is the best use of your time. But lifting with a static weight is the problem. So our biomechanics are such where we are, I, I don't know whoever's listening versus watching this, but you know, when I'm back in a back position on a chest press or when I'm doing a push-up and my nose is, is against the ground, this is my, it's the weakest position. As I push out, I become stronger. So, so I can hold X here 
maybe 3.5 X here and seven X here in a one rep maximum. Yeah. I would never do a one rep maximum, but just as an example. So, and that's what I learned from developing the bone density devices. So when, when that had like the whole point of the bone density devices, they're called OsteoStrong. There's a, there's a 150 clinics in eight different countries around the world. Um, and we treat, uh, you know, bone there and, uh, people's bone health is dramatically improved more so than any drug that's ever been trialed uh, with this therapy. And so the idea of the therapy is we compress bone from end to end. So the axis of the bone. Uh, right. And so when, when that happens, the, the axis gets compressed, then the bone becomes stimulated. So, you know, a bone looks like a honeycomb, right? It's got all these little walls in it. So as those walls bend, it's an irritant to those, to those walls. And when they bounce back into position, they didn't like that. So they're going to pull in more minerals and, re and recalcify, build more little walls, fortify the structure of the bone matrix so that the next time it's under a compressive force of multiples of body weight, then it will be stronger. But of course, then since the bone is stronger, you can put more force on it and continue the growth. So just an adaptive response like building muscle or building a callus. So uh, it's, it, was, it was very successful. And, and once I looked at what humans could apply to their bodies in optimal ranges of motion. So let's, uh, I got all the research from gymnastics. So gymnastics um, is really the art of taking impact. So hitting the ground incredibly hard and being able to discharge those forces so that you don't hurt anything. So it, it, they, they really, really refine this and it's very repeatable the way they're trained. So they're easy to study. Whereas like, you know, fighters are hard to study because every punch is different, mm. right? So, right. so, right. So the, the gymnast and the floor have a relationship and they know how the gymnast knows how to contact that floor and discharge as much force as possible and uh, keep, keep relatively injury-free. Now they still do get injured. They, they retire on an average of 19 years of age. So really? Yeah. Yeah. They get beat up. Yeah. Like uh, I know some orthopedic surgeons that worked on a couple of uh, Olympic gymnasts over the last pat, just this, the past two Olympics that I know of. And yeah, I mean, they're a mess. But they're incredibly powerful. Their bone density is just through the roof. And uh, so they're, they're fascinating. But what, what I got out of that research was that humans are seven times stronger in those impact-ready ranges than they are in the weaker ranges. So if we know there's a seven-fold difference from strong to weak, why would we be lifting a weight if we truly want to exhaust the muscle? We need a weight that changes so that the effort is a constant. So it's not like, you know, hard at the bottom and easy at the top, like lifting weights. It's got to be like hard at the bottom, hard in the middle and hard at the top. Mm, yeah. You want to yeah. make it more difficult, but because you're changing the weight, you're not getting to any sort of sticking point, right? Because the curve, the curve of the power that you're putting through the muscle equals the curve that your biomechanics are able to produce. 
So like I looked at like band training. I was like, what do I just like write a book about bands? Because I didn't want to horse around with this. I already had a, a business, you know, Osteostrong. So yeah. I, I thought like, yeah, I don't like I've been people knew me in that industry and I was doing well uh, in medical device and and, and uh, different orthopedic surgeons gynecologists. Uh, they were starting to get really excited about my research and that business was going great. Now it was also a big business. So it was growing on its own. It didn't necessarily need me, but, uh, and I, and so when I looked at this exercise science project, okay, I'm going to build the, like, first it was like the band. And then I realized the first time I got heavy bands, bands suck. <laughs> they do. They do. I don't blame anybody. This is band soccer. You never get big from bands because bands by themselves it's like a rubber tire by itself. Is a rubber tire, uh, you know, a Lamborghini? No. Rubber tires go on a Lamborghini, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. So when you have this band, you know, like say, let's say you step on it and you go to do a curl, your wrist gets twisted. Yeah. Or you throw it around your back to do like a push-up with it. And your wrists are being bent outward because there's more, more force on the outward side. So you could break your wrists. Oh, and then how about, how about a deadlift where you're standing on a band and you're maybe doing like with X3, we do deadlifts. If you're over six feet tall, you're doing a 600 pound deadlift. Oh, really? Yeah. On Wait, <clears throat> with the, with the, the X3. Yeah. Interesting. I, we'll talk about There's it. There's a reason it works. And like everybody knows you can't get away from heavy. Yeah. Like heavy is the way to grow. So X3 is a strategic way to approach how to go heavier than you ever gone before, but safer. Mm. So, and I, I also truly believe like anybody who's interested in fitness, when they stop lifting heavy, it's not because they're all of a sudden weak or they don't, you know, have the balls to do it anymore. They're just afraid of getting injured. And, you know, you get one, one little injury in your, in your twenties or early thirties. And it's just, you know, your progress is probably going to stop because you get nervous. You're like, Ugh, I don't want one of those again. Like I had trouble getting out of my car for a week. So, you know, people end up making that decision. I'm just going to train light. Well, then that's the last day they're ever going to be stronger. Mm. Training light is, it'll, it'll maintain, but it won't grow you. What about uh, attaching bands to weights? Great question. There have been a lot of, the, most of the studies on variable resistance have been about that. However, there's one study that looked at all the other studies and said, what if we look at proportional variance? Like, what is the variance ratio that may be optimal? So what they did is they had three different levels of variable resistance. So they already knew variable resistance. So putting more weight on in the stronger range than when you're in the weaker range is going to grow muscle fast. So the reason I called it X3 is because there's a study that shows you grow three times faster with a variable resistance. Right. Okay, cool. But people didn't get that. <laughs> I mean, I, I assumed that people would actually be interested in reading like a few sentences about science. No. Um, yeah, it's just too much work, I guess. People don't read. I've written no, captions and people ask me a question, which is in the caption. I'm like, did you read? Did you read it? But anyway, please right. continue. <laughs> right. So um, the, uh, what, what the hell was I saying? I'm uh, distracting myself. 
Um, so I started laughing about the caption thing. <laughs> yeah, so we was uh, talking about like if if we was to attach bands to the weights. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, the combination above. So what that study that I was describing found was that the greater degree of variance, the higher your variability ratio, the, the faster you grew. Right. So like they were doing, you know, we look at X weight on your chest on a bar. And then when you go to extension, it's 1.2 X. So that's like weight on a bar with some light bands on the ends of it that might go under the bench. Okay. That's one way to, one way to do it. Um, the other way is looking to have more aggressive change with less weight. And it turned out that the higher the proportion of variability, the better somebody did. So my position was, we don't need the weight at all. We just need massive, powerful bands and a way to hang on to them. Because if you have the band by itself, that, that's why I didn't write the book about band training, because I was like, band training sucks. Like, I need to develop a product here. So, you know, the X3 has the Olympic bar, which rotates in your hand. Uh, so your grip is always optimized. And then it hooks up to the banding, uh, which, you know, like hundreds of pounds. So you're able to give the body the advantage of training far heavier and because the weight changes as you move you go to a much deeper level of fatigue because like further we do a diminishing range so each set you first go to fatigue in the stronger range of motion so when i'm doing my chest press i'm using 550 pounds at the top so i do full reps until i can't get to that 550 and then i start doing half repetitions with the, sort of the middle which might be 350 or something like that so mm -hmm. 350 pound half reps and then like the last couple of repetitions may only be a hundred pounds, but the muscle is devastated at that point. And I can only produce a hundred pounds of force. Imagine in a bench press going to a level of fatigue where a strong person can only move a hundred pounds. <laughs> That's wild. That's fatigue. That's fatigue that you cannot get with weights. Yeah. It's a hundred pounds. Like, you know, it's like a push up. It's nothing. <laughs> So like, you know, in a, in a 20 rep set, exhausting the point where I can't even move hundred pounds. That's good. Man. That, yeah. The muscles devastating. You only do one set, never more than one. Wow. And yeah. And then you just grow you can see differences by the day. Mm. Have you got, have you actually got the X3 there so we could see it on the video or not? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So for those that are, watching on youtube or right you can see I'm, I'm like rotating the bar mm -hmm. but it stays parallel to the ground the hook always stays parallel to the ground yeah and that's that's like an <clears throat> olympic bar so you can keep a grip on it it's uh, anodized aluminum and uh, knurled so you, you know, get a good grip on it how wide does it go 19 and a half inches and the reason we did that is because wide grip anything is good for like a bench press contest. Right. But it's not good for growing muscle because ultimately, like if I'm out here and you know, my, my pectorals are contracted to a certain degree, but if I'm here, like just when I move my arms in, it's more contracted, right? 
Is is it not said that you're kind of activating a bit more tricep if it's that close? You're activating more pectoral also. It's just a more efficient. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, there's more tricep, but there's more pectoral in it too. I mean, think about a crossover. You're trying to get your body like this mm-hmm. you know, to even squeeze the pectorals even more. So yeah. mm. talking of that, uh, what about cables? What's, what's, what's the efficiency on cables? Would you say? Well, they're the same weight in all positions. So they have kind of the same drawback that regular weights do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, maybe there's a cable machine out there from the seventies that Arthur Jones built with his cam. So that's variable resistance, but the cam, it was like X versus 1.2 X. It wasn't the, it wasn't the best proportion because they didn't have the science that I did when, when I started this. And, and really the best reference was off of my own invention, the, the first one. So when I saw it was, it really came out of a question at the hospital where someone said to me, you know what, what are the kind of like forces that people who lift weights deal with? Because we're looking at these like postmenopausal females who have never worked out a day in their life. They're a little bit overweight. Uh, they couldn't be obese or anything. They'd be disqualified from the study. Um, but we were looking for a, a particular group that reflected the, uh, the osteopenic osteoporotic population. So, you know, postmenopausal, and and with weak bone so okay so you know we found them but they had never worked out and they're dealing with someone we're dealing with six seven times their body weight like after six months of training in in just the the you know the impact ready range of motion i can't lift that but just exposing the load at that very very specific position and of course they would grow that's really interesting. Yeah. Six, seven times. Like you don't, you don't get that in the gym. I mean, most people are trying nope. to achieve maybe double, you know, and they feel pretty happy about themselves if they can do that. But you're able sure. to achieve that. Is it because of the different variations of range of weight load, whatever you call it? From, from It has the- to do with mechanical leverage within the body. Because mm-hmm. uh, the... You know, like a 120 degree angle behind the knee is where the is where your leg is really like able to absorb or produce the greatest amount of force. So um like the, the very top of a squat before you lock out, you know, that position where it doesn't really matter what's on your back, it feels kind of light. And then when you when you start to go down, it's like, whoa, that's heavy. Um, so that that the mechanical leverage is there, but also you're engaging more tissue. The shorter the muscle, the more efficient the muscle is at producing power. So it's the combination of the two things where, and I mean, we don't have like a linear curve. Everybody says, you know, we want linear loading, you know, with variable resistance. No, we don't. The curve looks like this. It's not a line. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on compound lifts? Multi-joint lifts are much better. The central Mm -hmm. nervous system just knows how to respond to them. You know, like everybody knows if you want the best quad pump, you'd use a quad extension. But athletes don't really use a quad extension because that's not something you do. It's not natural, is it? 
no it's like trying to get a tan with candles it's just not gonna work <laughs> um you know you don't put a pad in front of your shin and sit on a chair and then swing your leg outward in any sport mm. in any movement that we do and I, I don't like the term like functional exercise i mean the function of a muscle is to shorten so you can say anything is a functional exercise uh but does it mimic things that we do like running our quads or hamstrings or glutes all work together so sprinting i should say not so much distance running that's almost like controlled falling um because <laughs> you, know, you kind of pitch your body forward and you know, there's a strategy to it right uh, but but if you look at the biomechanics of it you're like kind of ugly mm. Mm. Um, we weren't really designed that way, were we? For like the whole long distance thing. I've always questioned that. At all. Short bursts. Okay, makes sense. No. Well, and um, when you look at the cortisol upregulation, like chronic high levels of cortisol are damaging the body. And that's what like sustained long cardio does. Like if you have to do it, you have to do it. If you want to be a marathon runner, you got to run. But nobody said it was healthy. Mm, mm. So, well, I mean, I guess somebody said that, but they were wrong. Because <laughs> um, you're damaging your joints. Uh, the cardiovascular benefit goes away as soon as you stop running. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, within weeks. Not with strength training, though. Strength training stays around because the muscle takes a long time to dissipate. And muscle is a metabolic engine that is always demanding. Yeah. So yeah, if you're muscular, it's like you're running a marathon 24-7. It's beautiful. Yeah. When I watch people doing cardio, I'm like, you have no idea, man. You're wasting your time on that shit. <laughs> oh, the second part, you need to see this, but it's weightlifting is a waste of time, and so is cardio. <laughs> uh, so is cardio. <laughs> yeah, I needed to make sure I made everyone angry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh so man. Like, runners mad at me. The weightlifters mad at me. Uh, all vegans. Vegans. Oh, vegans. Story, though. I, I I saw talking about you had mentioned um, more field animals are killed each year for mm -hmm. a for vegetable agriculture. Vegetable and, agriculture. Uh, than than beef and pig agriculture combined, or something like that. Um. Beef and exactly beef and pig. There's 120 million, you know, lives of cattle and pigs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, slaughtered every year for food production. Mm -hmm. But there's seven billion um, animals that are killed, like poisoned birds, like a uh, you know a bunch of birds, a bunch of crows will take down a uh, a cornfield. They'll ruin a cornfield. So they'll just pick all the corn right off the, right off the stock. Right. And so, uh, right, they poison them. They poison them by the tens of thousands. Right. Yeah. Right. And that poison then gets in the environment. Uh, and when, uh, ground squirrels uh, have to be poisoned by the tens of thousands. Gophers, tens of thousands. You know, we've got to protect these plants. Now, that was the habitat of these animals before we decided to turn into farms. So like, 
I, I suppose my argument, and the funny thing is, vegans always think I like I hate them or something like that. No, like they're they're fine people. I mean, some of them are a little nuts. But, <laughs> well, they almost like I, I, I question anybody who has a religious devotion to their nutrition. Mm. But they put I mean, it in their bio as well. Devotion to anything that's not religion, then you know you're. It's like wow, you you're incapable of thinking this through. Yeah, because yeah, you just you gave up on thinking when you decided to take that attitude. And you know, it's it's very obvious kind of who they are when you know somebody's name on on social media is like vegan Tim. <laughs> okay, so you don't care about learning at all. You're just spreading your propaganda. And by the way, I can prove that veganism is malnutrition, just like anorexia and bulimia. Mm. Why would you say that? What's what's your? Uh, yeah, you, you can't you can't get the proper things that you need. Now, a lot of the vitamins we're told we need, we don't, but we do need B twelve. That's a big one, and they can't get it. They can supplement with it, but it's hard to say you have the ultimate nutrition program. You got to take a couple fistfuls of pills every day. Now, would you say an omnivore doesn't need to take supplements at all? yes okay a little pause there because one of my problems with fruits and vegetables at all i remember i posted on on your page where you're like like you know how much fruit uh, fruits and vegetables do you get and i'm like none of either yeah and people were like what the hell is wrong with you like no i don't i don't eat fruit don't eat vegetables i just eat meat basically it's just steak that's the one thing I'm going to eat. Oh, sorry, please, please. Yeah, I mean, I know it's, you know, somebody's like, oh, do you eat a balanced diet? And I'm like, yeah. It's balanced. And what does balance mean to you? Like, I get my nutrition. I don't take any supplements. I take a protein supplement, take Fortigen, but I don't take any multivitamin. I'm not vitamin deficient in any way. I don't have scurvy, despite the fact that I haven't had vitamin C and five years four years wow yeah. so what is that myth then you're saying nobody needs vitamin c antioxidants mm. are important if you are oxidizing makes sense right so uh, oxidization is inflammation mm. so if you're if you're not inflamed do you need an anti-inflammatory no yeah so I have no oxalates in my body. Therefore, why would I need an antioxidant? So the people who get scurvy, they don't get vitamin C, but they're still sucking up a ton of sugar. Or, you know, I mean, sugar, sugar in all forms. Or you're just eating potatoes. Why they used to get scurvy on boats is because their nutrition was, they couldn't bring meat with them. So their nutrition was uh, potatoes. They travel better. Right. They eat potatoes and get scurvy because there's oxalates that they're eating in those potatoes and there's nothing to kind of cancel that out. So what vitamins people need has a lot to do with what they're doing with themselves. You know, exercising versus not exercising. Pretty different. Um, so so a friend of mine, Jason Calton, 
uh, wrote a meta-analysis comparing like a bunch of popular diets. And it was, um, you know, like the South Beach diet and a couple of these brand names. Like, you know, one is like where all you eat is like bread and salad. And another <laughs> one is, uh, that's popular in like the Mediterranean. Uh, it's like, I think it might be called the Mediterranean diet, but whatever. I'm sure some people from the Mediterranean would say that's, please don't, please don't brand us. That's stupid crap. Uh, so it's like, there's a couple of different diets he compared. One of them was Atkins. Uh, cause that was like the, the thing at the time, like nobody really mentions Atkins anymore, but a ketogenic diet, no matter what the average of calories that a person needed to eat to get to the recommended daily allowance of the vitamins that are ascribed by the American Medical Association. Take a guess how many calories every person would have to eat per day if they just used whole foods. No whole foods. Just food. I'm guessing it's something stupid low. Um, I don't know. I might say something too low. I'm going to go for something like 1,200. 27,000 calories a day. Oh, 27,000. Oh, yeah. Other direction. No, so, other direction, yeah. Since, since humans never, Homo sapien never consumed 27,000 calories a day. So what does that tell you? It tells you the vitamin recommendations are bullshit. All right. Like, I'm not... I'm not saying some of them we need or some of them we don't. I'm saying do what you do to be as healthy as possible and then see what you're deficient in. Like I eat one thing, I eat steak. Animals eat plants. They take care of the oxalates for me. And then I'm left with a whole lot of vitamins. By the way, like I also eat organ meats, which have every vitamin in them. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you about that. I yeah, eat not often though. Do do you, would you would you title your particular diet? You know when people say I'm a carnivore. What would you say like your particular? <laughs> I love this question. So okay, like I, I tell people like you don't really need a title to diet because like okay here here's a perfect example. People describe me as having carnivore nutrition. Okay. I, when I eat, I do eat meat. I also have a joke where I sound like I'm hundred percent vegan between meals. Um, <laughs> I think that's funny. Thanks, man. Thanks for laughing at my jokes. Uh, <laughs> somebody needs to. So, so like, okay, I have, I'm eating meat, but then I developed, uh, I didn't develop it. Some other scientists developed it. I launched it. Uh, it's like the world's most anabolic protein. It's made out of bacterial fermentation. Basically, we're supposed to be eating rotting stuff and the best amino acids are in rotting stuff. But the way we can grow bacteria and cultures now, it's not meat-based. So you can just grow the bacteria in a culture and have it eat, you know, whatever. Instead of muscle glycogen, it's eating just sugar or a plant or whatever. So we grow these and then it's just, the fermentation that goes into the supplement. So because no animals are harmed, it's vegan. So people are like, you know, you're just such a fake son of a bitch. That's like the nicest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, 
because you're carnivore, but then you recommend a vegan protein. And I'm like, it's not made of vegetables. It's made out of bacteria. And vegans can eat that because no animals were hungry. Because that's, that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. So, yeah, just, and, and it's also like, what I'm trying to do is not just eat meat. I'm trying to be as strong and as lean as possible. Mostly because those are the two greatest drivers of long life. Yeah. The strongest people and the leanest people live the longest. So those are those two points have never been contested in research. Mm. Nobody ever said, oh, if you're weaker, you're gonna live a lot longer. <laughs> or you know, if you're if you're fat, you're gonna live a lot longer. No. Mm. Leaner, mm. stronger. So I want to be as strong and as lean as possible. And I want the shortest path to get there. Uh, so, so the the very efficient protein. I take four doses of that a day, but there's no vitamins in it. It's Sorry, crazy. four doses of what? Of of that bacterial fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I need to share that with me. I want to have a look at it. Like, yeah, it's called Fortigen. Um, it, it's, it's called Fortigen. Fortigen, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I talk about it on my on my page uh, every once in a while. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it makes things really easy because when I tell people their protein requirements if they want to grow muscle, because like a lot of people went on Bot X3 and then like half of them were like, well, it's not working. And they're like, oh, tell me about your nutrition. And I never saw this coming. People are like, oh, I get a lot of protein, like 50 grams a day. And I'm like, oh, 50. It's not a lot. That's <laughs> That's like a good amount for like a small dog. <laughs> like, I, you know, you're a regular sized person, one gram per pound of body weight. So I weigh 240. So I got to have 240 grams of protein a day. Mm, mm. Yeah. Like, there's no way around it. So um, I will, <sighs> so I'll, I'll do four doses of Fortigen, which is the, protein value equivalent of 200 grams of protein. So it's like 50 per dose. Um, and then, and then I'll have like a, you know, a half pound or a pound of steak for dinner and I only eat one meal a day. So dinner, you know, so I get the fasted benefit, get a little bit of autophagy. Awesome. So, yeah. um, is, is that, <laughs> it's a category. Is it like the, the, uh, so it's one meal a day. So how many hours of fasting would you say that is? Now, uh, I do. So, I mean, it would be like a 23-hour right. fast. But I also drive fast for 20 hours. So, right. yeah, drive fasting. Mm, that's, that's hardcore, man. It, well, I thought it was, but, like, I'm actually – on a quest to find the easiest nutrition plan to follow. I actually think the dry fasting provided you don't, you know, like if you do like a manual labor job, you know, you can't, you can't be. Now, the funny thing is you really don't end up being dehydrated because you first get dehydrated. You get kind of dry mouth, urine gets a little darker, and then your body taps into metabolic water and starts pulling water out of fat cells. When that happens, you don't feel dehydrated at all. And you're not dehydrated, no cramps, no nothing. Your body has to get used to that. And, and so like in, um, in American wrestling, like collegiate wrestling, like they have in the Olympics, I was a wrestler. 
in, uh, in high school. Oh, right. So, yeah. And so like every time you weigh in, you dehydrate yourself. And so I, cause you know, like I, I wrestled in the 130 pound weight class in high school. So very, I was a skinny guy, um, 130 pounds, but I wanted to be like, I was like more like 140. And then I would, uh, I would just dehydrate that 10 pounds in 48 hours and make weight and then rehydrate because then I'd have a 10 pound advantage on my opponent. And I was honestly far more interested in that than I was in the wrestling because wow. I could really, really manipulate my body. I was like 15, 16 years old and I looked like a skin cadaver. I had like veins in my abs, but basically like you. Uh, so, um, you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, you know, you're like that. Or at least you're there most days on, on the day somebody's holding the camera, you like that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, all right. So, uh, so basically, I, you know, I was in a situation where I was really lean. And then when I went, when I went to university, I, I started playing rugby. And so rugby, you don't need to make weight for anything. So I quit the dry fasting. And I just started looking like an average guy, like everyone else. I wasn't ripped anymore. And it was just kind of like, ooh. That, I didn't call it dry fasting. I just call it cutting weight. But uh, yeah, and then, and then you know, many, many years later, in fact, while I was writing Weightlifting is a Waste of Time, I, uh, I started reading some research about Ramadan fasting. Mm. Now, when people fast for Ramadan and they study it, Typically, they're not looking for athletic performance. They're just looking at safety. So, uh, you know, more than a billion people every year dry fast for 20 straight days. And I mean, they, they eat and drink at nighttime, but then the whole day is a fasted period, a dry fasted period. So no food, no liquids. And they do great. They're fine. They're healthy. So the very limited data with athletes, but I, I thought I'd give it a, I'd give it a try. Like I'm not like if I, if I needed to perform, I'd have to rehydrate, which is why I rehydrate before my workout. Mm. So I drive fast 20 hours a day, rehydrate for about an hour. And then I do my X3 workout. What times are, are all of these? Like what time do you work out? Where do you rehydrate? Where do you eat? Like, for the one time and you're holding a bit of weight as well for, how much do you weigh again 240 240 okay so what's that in kilos um so 120 is 100 kilos it's 109 kilos 109 kilos right <sighs> and you managed to maintain that on do you know how much calories you eat yeah it's been a lot less recently another thing people are so upset about is, you know, I'm eating like 1500 calories a day. <laughs> uh, you will right. upset people, man. You can't tell people that. Give them some false information. <laughs> no. And, so, and it's, it's all it is is they just don't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, the most searched for thing in nutrition is how to lose weight without changing my diet. <laughs> <laughs> tell me you're lying. People are not really searching. <laughs> No, we're talking, we're talking like millions and billions of searches of people looking for that. 
Now it's like, okay, you want to sit this guy down and be like, okay, you got overweight by eating the way you eat. So how could you imagine by eating the way you eat, somehow that's going to go away? They want to take a pill, isn't it? Everybody wants to take yeah, a pill. Everybody wants a shortcut. And, and people want the news that makes them comfortable, mm-hmm. not the news that is. Like, like when I tell people that like cholesterol, like what was first thought about cholesterol, the low density lipoprotein, LDL, the bad cholesterol, which is not bad at all. Um, it, it's pretty harmless and pe- more, the majority of the heart attacks actually come from people with normal cholesterol, less heart attacks come from people with high cholesterol. So the research was biased basically to sell statin drugs. Oh, really? Um, statin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because as soon as the patents run out in statin drugs, a bunch of universities test this theory and they're like, oh no, no, no. It's the opposite of what we were told. But the thing is, when there's a product to be sold and there's an education to go along with it, like cholesterol is bad and here's a statin, that's good. <laughs> so there's, there was billions toward, put towards that message. But now that they figured out that that's all wrong, there's zero dollars to market that message. So most people don't hear about it. Like I put in the book. I talk about it. I get just a string of profanity. Well, my uncle died of cholesterol. And no, your uncle died of a blockage. And the reason cholesterol was vilified is if, if you look at blood flow, and you look at <clears throat> you look at an artery and you got, you know, let's say, let's say this is an artery, blood's flowing through it, and there's inflammation on the edge. That's what happens. There's certain edges that, that get some, some inflammation. Well, what happens is the LDL, the low density lipoprotein is lighter. So it sticks. And then, you know, more blood flows through, but now you've got a, a potential blockage and plaque building up, but the problem, it's sort of like leaves don't cause floods when they clog the drain. Right. It's like, it's a lot of fucking rain. It causes the flood. So like it don't blame the don't blame the trees. You know, you don't cut all your trees down just because you had a flood once. So right, it's just like you gotta understand the mechanism. And so now that we understand the mechanism better, the LDL was never to blame. And in fact, what do you do like like if LDLs are bad, when you fast, your LDL level is typically at its highest. Now, most of us love carbohydrates. But what we don't like is when carbohydrates decide to stick to us and turn to fat. Restriction diets are no fun and the crash you feel after a heavy carb binge leaves you feeling like trash. Check out Keon Lean. It's a natural supplement that helps support glucose metabolism and healthy blood sugar levels, allowing you to indulge a little without the stress of a crash and fat gain. Again, check out Keon Lean by visiting www.getkeon.com forward slash Roger Snipes and use coupon code SNIPES20 for 20% off. Because your body is metabolizing its own body fat. So saying low density lipoprotein is bad for you is like saying weight loss is bad for you, Mm -hmm. which is obviously not true. Opposite of that is true.
Yeah. Yeah. What, what, so, so when is it you actually, did you say you drink? Like what, you, you have it just before your training. Do you normally eat in the afternoon? Mid-afternoon, evening, uh, no, morning? Like, later in the day, like six, seven o'clock. Oh yeah? And what time do you normally go to bed? I think I'd like, like to by 11, but it's usually midnight. Oh yeah? yeah? So you're a bit, I know you're into your biohacking and stuff. Like, do you feel that's optimal for you? Or are you just settling for that because that's what works for you at the moment? Is what works for me at the moment. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no formula that says staying up till midnight is the right thing. Yeah, you know, like if I really wanted to focus on the rhythms of like sunlight versus not sunlight, I go to bed a lot earlier, mm. get up a lot earlier. But you know, mm. you know what's also, your general waking time? Would you say, uh, like six? Okay, All six right. or seven. Hmm. Okay. Um, in one of your posts, you were talking about, uh, I think, a drag curl being a bit more Better. Op optimal than, uh, I think, a normal curl, a normal, yeah, bicep curl. Right. So when people do a curl, like they'll they'll bring their arm forward, so you know the center of the bar is in line with their elbow. All right. So turn the bicep off and you loaded the tricep. Like, I mean, it's balanced. It's, or or you, you're not really loading anything. You're just kind of balancing, you know, on that joint. You probably got some frontal deltoid involved. Uh, but, you know, I mean, like, you, you, in the fully contracted position, the bicep should have the most tension on it, not no tension. Yeah. But the way people, most people curl is like this. So instead I curl like this. So I'm pulling it back. I'm dragging the bar up my body. So my elbows are swinging back. So basically the bar just hovers in front of my body like an inch. And the peak position, you get a much harder contraction. But also with variable resistance, that's where the weight is the highest. Mm, mm. So you want to take advantage of that. I think and, I'm trying to. It's 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 great. It's great with with uh, with X three with variable resistance. I, I wouldn't normally do that as a beginning exercise. I'll I'll do that maybe as a I don't know, a, you know, finisher as some people call it. Hmm. You know, remember there's only one set per body part with X three. We don't more. We don't do more than one set. Like in in a lot of okay. A, a lot of people don't like that idea, but I mean, think about it this way. You don't, when you go to get a, a, a suntan, it's like how many sets, <laughs> you're probably not too worried about this. But how, many sets, <laughs> how many sets does some white dude need to do in the sunlight to get a suntan? You know, you don't do no, you don't tan yourself in sets. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Sets, yeah. Uh, but but ultimately, like the fact that we have to do multiple sets to trigger any significant muscle growth is kind of symbolic that the stimulus we're using is not great. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. Like there's a better way. And so when when you go to fatigue with this level of variable resistance, you're done. You're, you can't do anything else. Yeah. We, we built upon the idea that we need to 
train for a certain period of time in order to get a certain amount of growth. And we've kind of stuck to it. It's like, it takes this long. This is the amount of sets we have to do minimum, the amount of reps in order to, to gain strength, these amount of reps in order to burn fat. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't follow that BS, but the, you know, it's, um, it's a, a very common approach by a lot of people. So f for you to say that, yeah, yeah. that's going to it's going to really rattle some cages. <laughs> it does. Well, I've also noticed like no matter what you say, especially in, in fitness and in nutrition, uh, there's a lot of people with opinions who they'll do anything to say they're right. And I suppose people just want to imagine they have all the answers. Um, even when they profoundly don't, it's, uh, it's just something in, uh, here, this'll be, this'll be, you bring this up at a cocktail party in the next week. There's a study from 19, I want to say 1999, uh, the Dunning, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, but Dunning and Kruger, two researchers, and they went and studied, uh, people's competency their ability to perform tasks and tested that and then they tested their their sort of uh, their belief in their ability and this was all also cross-referenced with general intelligence so it turns out that the dumbest people thought they were they had the best competency they thought they were the best at the task and they were the worst. Now the people who were the best at the task, these are the highly intelligent people, they always underestimated themselves. They got 100% every time, but they imagined they got 90%. So the smart people know what they know and they know what they don't know. And that gives them hesitation. The dumb people don't know what they don't know. So everything is just simple to them. They're in their world, for stupid people in their world, politics can be crammed right down into a meme. And it's all that's that's all we need to know. And this is this is like like I'm just describing the internet right now. Yeah. Like so, like the people who are the most vocal and have the strongest opinions are the ones who know the least typically, statistically. So like when, when, when I, I tell people now, like don't listen to internet commenters, like they really don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they will have no hesitation to tell you that they are the greatest expert on earth and you should only listen to them. And they know jack shit. And so, uh, it, and it's, and this is a huge problem. Like th this is, um, and now I, I think, that especially politically, you can see it, is that the loudest people seem to determine where we're all going, even if they're wrong. And so the dumbest people have the strongest convictions and they become the loudest. So now we become, Western society has become uh, doomed to a leadership of the weakest and most stupid people based on how we're getting our information from social media. It's a travesty. 
Yeah. And I don't know what to do about it, but I think that this study, Dunning-Kruger, really nails so many problems in so many areas. Like the idea of social media was to give everybody a voice. I think we should take everybody's voice away <clears throat> because they're just dumb and wrong. And they will forward incorrect information till the day they die because that they're just driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many. Yeah. And uh, sorry, what was this study you said? Who is the person you mentioned? I want to know that. Dunning Kruger. So Dunning? Yeah, two, it's two guys, two last names. Oh, right. Yeah. Kruger. Dunning and Kruger. Okay. 1999. Definitely need yeah, to. Yeah, and it's it's a hilarious study because it it just tells you so much about sort of the the basic thinker. And you know, sometimes you have a debate with somebody and you <clears throat> are you unable to understand the science that I'm showing to you? And the truth is, yeah, they are completely unable. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't really talk to them. So when somebody comes on my page and is like, it just spreads some BS from like nutritionfacts.org, which is completely a false website. Um, it's, it's vegan propaganda. So there's some stuff on there that's real. I think their, their, their rate on like media bias is like 50, 50, like half the things they say are just totally falsified. Uh, because it's, the whole point of the website is to make veganism look great. Right. Um, and of course there's funding from like Nabisco and Kellogg's because snack food companies know that vegans aren't eating kale. They're eating cookies and cake. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Yeah. It's very, very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they know. So they, <laughs> they want the whole world to become vegan. <laughs> cookies and because, cake. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But, but also, I mean, it also goes back to plant-based nutrition because all sugar is plant-based. Yeah. Like every, every every candy bar, it's plants. Yeah, kids, listen up. Go have a Snickers bar and say, hey, mom, I'm having vegetables today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I, I saw this. I saw this comment. Oh, man. Because I actually liked, <clears throat> I liked this vegan page. Like, I don't follow the the vegan diet, but I like some of the recipes which they do, which are legit. Um, it's just like I'll have a pea protein every once in a while or whatever. But I'm not biased to one type. Like, I eat all different types of food. But there was something that was there where somebody asked about something, and they said. <clears throat> Does this item have real honey in it or is it fake honey? And then someone said, oh, don't worry, it's fake honey. And they were like, oh, it's a, okay then, I'll, I'll get it. As long as it's sugar and some fake stuff. I was like, wow. I was like, this is incredible. You know? It'd rather have something artificial. Yeah. Because it, it just can't come from an animal. I can't remember. I really wish I remembered. Oh, because oh, I get it. Okay. You understand? Yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah, that yeah. was the viewpoint of it. Like, you know, and I was like, like no bees were harmed. Yeah. You know that bees just make honey anyway. But like we're stealing have... from them, you know, that's stealing. That's theft. 
<laughs> Anyhow, I want to I want to ask you, you. We're talking about carbohydrates. Um, would you say? <clears throat> okay, so I asked something of a similar question to someone else. That obviously we have essential fatty acids, we have uh, essential amino acids, but we don't have a sem essential glycogen or glucose or anything. So my question is, we, we have an abundance of carbohydrates. Do we need it? Nope. Absolutely not. Don't need carbohydrates at all. Right. Now, you can strategically use carbohydrates to hydrate muscle and grow muscle faster. By hydrating muscle after training and a stretching protocol, I call it the hyperplasia protocol, you can cause hyperplasia to happen. So actual muscle cells can split, which is we were told when we were kids could never happen. But, you know, they they do a cadaver examination on somebody who's like a power lifter or something. And it's like this guy wasn't born with this amount of muscle cells. Like clearly they came from somewhere else. So and they since have proven. In fact, um, Professor Jose Antonio uh, at Florida State University, he's like the number one protein research guy like in the world. But he, he did his PhD dissertation on the hyperplasia effect in birds. So he would stretch birds. And in like one day, they'd have 120% growth in their pectoral muscles. Okay. Yeah. Benching as well? Or were they using the X3? Like, how did it work? <laughs> I think you'd have trouble getting a bird to use an exercise apparatus. Uh, no, he just stretched them. Now, obviously, birds biochemistry and biomechanics are different than ours. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like people who do yoga don't grow any muscle at all. So stretching is clearly not the only thing that's required. Mm -hmm. But he did show that hyperplasia could happen. And then the suggestion there is stretching muscles after you train uh, while you superhydrate the muscle. So you get a pump. First, you take a vasodilator. Uh, then you work out and uh, you consume small amount of carbohydrates like glycogen, like back glucose, sorry. Yeah. Glucose tablets. That's what I take. Mm. Yeah. I take 10 of those before my workout and just crazy pump. And then I stretch, stretch for like 30 seconds per body part. I train that day and uh, definitely localized growth. Like Amazing. if you just do it on your pectorals and don't do it on other muscles, you'll just see your pectorals grow at a higher rate. So you can test it yourself. So let me just get this straight. So a, a vasodilator, uh, glucose, and a stretch. Yep. And training. Uh, and training. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Would it be more efficient if you had been fasting beforehand? I always am. So yes. I'm talking about for another person. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I encourage that and yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be, would be certainly more efficient because then you're depleted. Yeah. And then, you know, then the difference is like, Whoa, we're stretching a lot of tissue here. So a lot of it has to do, and you probably heard this before, uh, the muscle fascia is one of the limits to growth. You stretch the fascia, you create more room for cellular division. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of science in this. I, it's 20 pages of the book. 
is that protocol right there with all kinds of references. Um, but you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I, it's, <laughs> it's funny. It's one of the advanced things I recommend yet everyone who gets X3 and reads the book, they want to do it like day one. Like if you want, if you want every beginner to do something, call it the advanced program. Cause they're all going to go out and do it on day one. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. So the X3, where can people find it? Uh, X3bar.com and we ship all over the world. Mm -hmm. And what sort of price are we looking at? Are there different sorts of prices? Are there payment plans? Is it one price? There's, there's a payment plan, uh, like 50 bucks a month for a series of months, but um, it's 550 US for, for the actual product. It's the most effective and cheapest home gym you'll ever buy. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody goes to build a serious home gym, you know, they're going to buy a power rack, which is three or $4,000. And then they're going to buy weights, which is another 500. And, and also they can't park inside anymore. And they got to park on the street uh, mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, they lose a garage. So it's, um, you know, like a home gym, like a serious home gym. That's a commitment. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot like you're, you're kind of screwing up a lot of your finances you're screwing up a lot of space in your house whereas x3 you get a better workout from that and then when you're done with it you throw it in a drawer what is the weight of it <clears throat> 15 pounds 15 pounds with all the bands the bands are heavy so the bar is like seven pounds so the other weight is actual just like thick block latex and uh, and then there's a, a a plate you stand on so when you do a deadlift, your ankles, you know, don't rotate inward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it can easily be put in a suitcase and taken with you on holiday and stuff. Travel. Like, like most of my great pictures were taken like all over the world. Like I have, I'm doing X3 in front of the Parthenon. I'm doing it in front of, I got a great, a great calf picture where I'm doing my calves uh, in front of the Sydney Opera House. Uh, I've taken it everywhere. Russia, mainland China, Hong Kong. So with this, do you do much resistance training at all? You mean other than X3? Yeah. No, nothing. Nothing. You don't, you don't do, you don't lift any weights at all. You just use the X3. Just use the X3. And you're weighing 109 kilos looking like that, looking pretty stacked. And, and it's all down to the X3. Yeah. Eating one meal a day. Eating one meal a day. Now, <laughs> before I kind of entered this sort of cutting phase, which I'm really trying to come up with something that's a little more sustainable. My plan was to do dry fasting. So 20 hours dry fasted, one meal a day, four doses of four gen. I feel like I, I thought that was going to be easy for a lot of people to manage. And now, now that I only need 50 grams of real food protein, I thought I could probably throw some carbohydrates in there and maybe people would like it more. So, cause when I, when I say I don't eat carbohydrates, like people are like, well, I'll never do that. And I'm like, well, okay. Like put that in a different sentence. Like I'll never be fit. Mm, mm. Now, can you get fit eating carbohydrates? Of course. It's just a lot harder. Yeah. You Depending know? on the source you get it from, really. But right, like fructose, 
basically doesn't get used <laughs> as fructose doesn't get used. Yeah, this is another thing. People were like, yeah, instead of like, I, I recommend because it was before I was doing glucose, the, these glucose tablets. Um, I recommended just eating rice because it's a kind of a medium metabolized carbohydrate. And um, people are immediately like, like the next day after I published the book and people had read it, people were like, yeah, I decided to substitute uh, candy bars for the, for the rice. Cause you know, carbs are carbs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Real stupid. I, I, you know what? I give up on humans sometimes, you know, I know, um, what's his name? Uh, Elon Musk is working on a plan to get people on Mars. I'm, I'm on that. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting because I'm done with people here. You know, hopefully we find some aliens. I just want to meet some aliens. I'm sure that, you know, I'd probably get on with them very well. <laughs> they probably won't give a shit about social media. So <laughs> that's for sure. A lot smarter. <laughs> I'm actually um, contributing to the, uh, to the effort, the Mars effort. Oh, is uh, it like SpaceX and all that? Well, I just published a paper. Uh, I, I didn't publish a paper, the journal did. Uh, mm. It's the top aerospace journal about um, bone health in deep space. So for extended space exploration. So the only thing we're talking about with extended exploration is Mars. So uh, yeah, and so they, they did some work with, uh, with Osteostrong. Amazing. My, my first invention, the bone density thing, because we got to keep bone functioning right without without gravity bone just dissolves yeah yeah i've always wondered how those guys you know keep in shape i know there's different sorts of exercises but mm -hmm. it's hard enough working with gra gravity let alone without yeah and you have to be committed to make sure that you do do it i guess yeah they're smart people like most astronauts are like md phds like yeah. they're really really good so they know they have to work out otherwise they'll fall apart so you don't have to worry about an astronaut putting it off <laughs> uh, but like you said the zero gravity environment is just a bitch mm. Mm. Uh, look john i mean i think i think i covered a lot here um is there anything else you'd like to add uh with regards to x3 or Osteo no, I, I like. Um, it, we're getting all kinds of of people involved with X3 now. Our target market is really busy professionals, because busy professionals they tried weightlifting at some point in their life and it really didn't work well for them. And the, one of my arguments is that fitness is the most failed human endeavor. Like everybody with a six pack is, I mean, like like a really great one. You could probably put everybody in the world who really has a great looking physique on one school bus. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just not that many fit people. That's why it's special. Uh, you know, how many photos have you taken that have ended up like thousands of places with your abs in them? A lot. <laughs> like yeah. I saw pictures of you from a while back and it was just like, I really want to figure out who this guy is. But there you were, like you keep popping up. It's like, it's, there's only like so many fit people and, and they're, they're all in the same shit. Like it's, it's, it's so 
when, when people look at fitness or I want to do this or I want to do that, or I want to be like this guy, it's like, be real careful when you say, I want to be like so-and-so because there's only one guy that looks like that or maybe a handful of guys, depending on what quality you're, you're looking at. It's like level of leanness or uh, whatever. Like if it's like the shape of a muscle, it's like, oh yeah, kiss that dream goodbye. You can't reshape a muscle. But um, so, and this is the end of the book. I talk about the biggest genetic differences. Um, there's a mutation that you no doubt have. And guys who put on strength pretty easily have and it's a different you have a different tendon insertion map in your body and what happens is most people like their insertion for their pectoral is right here so to pull the arm towards the body they've got that much tendon right well guys like mike tyson don't have it here it's over here so they've got a longer lever arm so every time they contract their pectoral, they have a mechanical advantage. They have like a lever on it. And so this is, this is the biggest genetic difference. And, uh, and I also explored like hormonal differences. We really don't have big hormonal differences. There's only one person who's not been allowed to participate in sports because she had too high a testosterone level. There's never been a man who had a natural level that was too high. Like right. we're really, we're really kind of similar. Now we can screw up our testosterone with injuries or poisoning ourselves with alcohol or whatever. Uh, I mean, that's not doing your testosterone any favors, but, um, but basically there's, there's not a lot of variability there. The variability is in the mechanical advantages that we have when we lift now. So like, like I work with uh, 17 different NFL players, so American football. So, very strong people, like strong, some of the strongest guys in the world are in the NFL. Strong men always like to argue with me about that. And I'm like, right. So you're saying you could have played in the NFL. <laughs> like, you'd rather just make $500 at like a small strength show than to be paid millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> so NFL guys, super strong. And uh, they, <clears throat> they build themselves to be, you know, like kind of like my size. Like I, I would probably be like a, like a, like a running back position on the field or, or a receiver. I'd be a larger receiver, a smaller running back. I don't, I don't know if your listeners really know football positions, but okay. So basically the positions are just sort of built for speed. Um, so like all these guys, they're that big and they're also drug tested to the same standards as, as WADA is doing the testing. So they can't even do, do any of that. So what you're looking at is natural athletes that are that big and that lean. And I love these guys because anybody wants to know where they can really be naturally, look at an NFL player. But most of them have that mutation where they have mechanical advantages. And there's great research on it, which was never publicized, probably because there's not a lot you can do about it until now. So X3 takes mechanical advantages or disadvantages and nullifies them because we're looking at the strength curve. We're going way ahead of the problem. And so now everybody can grow like that, Amazing. not just the select few who were gifted with that mutation. Mm, mm. That's brilliant to know, man. 
That's brilliant. I mean, you kind of covered that earlier on when you were talking about the lady that made like, was it? I think she pushed like seven times her weight or something. I just thought, right. Yeah, just from right. that alone. Body weight. Whereas, like, you know, like she's a, like a little old lady, never worked out, just done. The, she just did Strong for six months. And it's like people like who are weightlifters are like, I can't even do that. And it's like, well, yeah, but she's pushing it about that far. But the point is, we have an opportunity in our own biomechanics to deliver massive forces to the body. We just don't take advantage of it. Mm. Weights don't take advantage of it. That's why I call the book Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. <laughs> and is your book available on Amazon? Yeah. Cool. Do you have in an audio? Do you have an audio? Yeah, there's an audio book. You do? Yeah. Uh, do, do you, are you the narrator or someone else? No, so I, I should have been the narrator. <laughs> I really I'm, should have been. Yeah, I hear you. I got a couple of uh, medical words. Like he had to redo some stuff. And finally it was just like, all right, this is good enough. I hear you. I hear you. You know, well, uh, he was a British guy. So it's it's either skeletal or skeletal. <laughs> skeletal. But sometimes he would say some shit that I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so, <laughs> I felt sorry for the guy. Like he wasn't like normally reading medical stuff. And it's not a medical book, <clears throat> but it has, the, you know, the right terms in it. Like. I'm uh, I'm always against oversimplification. Oversimplification is another word for wrong. So sometimes you just got to learn what the fuck you're talking about, even when you want to simplify something, because it can only be so simplified. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just incorrect. Yeah, yeah. I guess it depends on how you oversimplify it, really. Sometimes if you can put it in a form of a story, then people can understand it a bit better. Yeah. You know? where it's more relatable. Sometimes I'll think of stuff and I'll think of so much detail I know about it, but I think people will be bored. They'll get switched off. It doesn't make sense me putting it that way. Mm -hmm. So I make it more relatable to people who don't even really lift that often. You know, they just, a lot of people just want instructions. Okay, well, what do I do with this? Just to tell them, don't, I don't need to know science. Maybe a tad, just to know it's legit. Yeah, but what do I do, you, you know? And then, uh, and then they take it from there. Problem is when they have that attitude, if they don't understand the underlying principles and they have a question, then they'll probably go out and find the wrong answer and apply that. If you understand the underlying principles, then you know, like, like the, well, you know, what about your antioxidants? I'm not oxidizing. Well, what do I need an antioxidant? And like, like it's typically just other researchers and physicians that look at me and they're like, mm, I get it. Mm. This thing. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, the worst thing they'll say after that is it's a really interesting philosophy. And, you know, I hope you end up being okay. Well, if you join the carnivore tribe on, on Facebook, there's like a couple hundred thousand people, I think maybe, maybe 200,000, maybe it's 150. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, people who are running the same experiment that I am. They just, just me. That's all they're eating. And they're all healthy. And the people that used to have gout don't have gout anymore. The people who had a lot of different chronic conditions. Obviously, the diabetics are doing great. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you take sugar out of the diet. Um, yeah, and, and also like the carbohydrate addiction problem that people have. Now, you and I have self-control and most people have the self-control of an unsupervised child. Like they just, like if there's a cake in front of them, they won't have, they'll say they're going to have a bite and they'll, and they'll eat the entire cake. Mm. Uh, so this self-control, it's a huge problem, but people need to understand that these carbohydrate-based foods are engineered to be addictive. Like people are like, well, why don't you ever have a cheat day? I'm like, I don't know. Alcoholics don't get a cheat day. Do they? You know, people are like, well, no. Well, I mean, if carbohydrates are addictive, and we know they are, and we know insulin sensitivity is a real thing, like, why would you do it? Why would you put yourself through the struggle? Now, I have only 40 grams of glucose right before my workout, and then I put that glucose to work. So am I having an insulin event? Yes, it's a tiny insulin event. Also, people are very mistaken about insulin events. You have an insulin event when you take a sip of water. You have an insulin event when you smell food. So when you walk by the pizza place, guess what? Just by smelling the pizza, you had an insulin event. It's just not a big one. So you don't need to worry about it. It's the big insulin events, like when you eat a chocolate cake or have a candy bar or you know, mm, mm, whatever, whatever the temptation is. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That is really, really interesting. Mm. Now, where, where in the UK are you? Are you I mean, I'm in Essex, okay, just, no, no, just no. outside of London, not too far from London, about yeah. 20 minutes drive. Yep. And, uh, you have a tube stop? I think you do. Yeah, Epping. Epping, right. Yeah, okay. Epping, yeah, yeah, Epping Forest. Um, yeah, so not too, you was talking about Stratford earlier. It probably takes about 26 minutes from uh, Epping to get to Stratford <laughs> to see I, Westfield. I, yeah, so I had an office uh, over by the other Westfield. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Like mm -hmm. Shepherd's Bush kind of area. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, nice. I had that. I had that for a couple of years. Was it one of those um, osteo strength type places, or something to do with osteo? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. It was uh, right before that started. Uh, it was another company that, where I was developing the uh, bone density technology, and uh, also uh, was working with uh, whole body vibration. What was that? Whole body vibration. So, you know, the company Powerplate? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Powerplate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to be one of the owners of Powerplate. Okay. Yeah. Ah, now there's Great so many version. different versions. There are a lot of different versions, but Powerplate is a great company. Uh, they just, the problem is the benefit it provides doesn't necessarily line up so well with the cost of the technology. And so, uh, and unfortunately they came up with some less expensive versions of it. Cause it used to be like $10,000 for a vibrational platform. Like the ones you see like David Lloyd gyms, which are all through London. You know, they, they have, um, they have power plates, but those are some expensive gyms. Um, mm. yeah. So now like 
Vibration also, it was oversold. It was sold, sold like it could cure all kinds of stuff and it didn't do any of that. Like not at all. Like it, it has a strong influence over growth hormone because it gives oh, yeah. you some instability firing. Yeah, you're, you can like, like so my company, we, I developed another vibration product, uh, which is weight sensitive. So when you, and it fits the top of the X3 plate on it. So you can do your workout under vibration. And uh, because it calls for more stabilization firing, you get a greater effective growth hormone. The only meta-analysis I've ever done, and hopefully I ever do, because those suck. Um, those who don't know what a meta-analysis is, it's like all the research on one subject condensed into one study where you weight all the different studies and score them against each other. It's a huge statistics exercise. Pain in the ass. But it is the highest level of medical information. If you have a meta, like you have meta analysis on a certain topic, you're closer to closer. You're never there with science, but you're closer to a definitive answer. Uh, so I did a meta analysis on stabilization firing and the effect on growth hormone, the upregulation of growth hormone, and so that was uh, to to look at what whole body vibration could do to influence growth hormone levels, and it does. It's, it sends them very high, but. Uh, also influences uh, flexibility, general range of motion. You can, if you stretch on one of those things, it's not, it's a dynamic stretch, not a static stretch. So it's not, it doesn't have the same neural inhibitory properties that a stretch, uh, that you, a static stretch you would do before a workout or you shouldn't do before a workout. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, like I still see people stretching at gyms all the time and then they go walk right in the weight room and I'm like, now, I'm sure if I go tell that guy, he'll think I'm the asshole. <laughs> yeah, of course. I just, all I can do is just let him get hurt. <laughs> Don't see him off. You know, whatever. Mm. Should have been following me on Instagram. <laughs> What's your thoughts on uh, EMS? Electrical e muscle stimulation. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, like TENS devices. Yeah. So uh, well, um, sort of. TENS is more like pain relief isn't it like well yeah, yeah, more... these are like bigger tens devices they meant to fire the muscle uh there's more um there's more amperage um the electrical current is bigger there's been some studies that show some cellular damage uh from these things because it's not like it's not your central nervous system calling for that muscle to fire it's an external stimulus. And uh, what we've seen is rapid cellular aging with those. So the muscle cells age. They look like they belong to an older person. Oh, really? Is. Yeah. Do you know where that's, that sort of study was found? Sure, I could dig it up. I would love you to send that to me. I do have an EMS device in my house, which I use on my abs. Um, I've used on and off for a number of years since I was in my late teens and then, then again around mid twenties. And I've recently had a belt, uh, again, um, not like for, a like, a you know, a crazy continuous period um mm -hmm. like maybe once every couple of weeks or something like that and maybe okay. off for a couple of months 
Um, yeah. So yeah, any studies on that would be great. I'd okay. and I'll actually put it in the notes as well. But I would like yeah. to know yeah. for myself. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll get a hold of that. Yeah, like I think the conclusion was all they could find was age was what they determined to be cellular aging, but that also might be if they had maybe some kind of incorrect current. Right. Because not all electricity is equal. I mean, just, just as an example, you ever like make the mistake of buying like an iPhone charger, or, like a gas station, like a petrol station? Um, well, oh yeah, well, I've got a cable or something. Yeah. From, yeah, well, cables are okay, but if you buy the actual box, the charger, that is not like an approved Apple product, it'll ruin your phone. Yeah, yeah. Because it puts what's called dirty power, which is not consistent voltage I hear in you. the phone. Yeah, and so it'll, it'll screw up the phone. It'll, it'll destroy the, the life of the battery. So it just ends up running out of battery like right away. You know, so it's like you save a dollar or two buying the cheaper charger and then your charger ruins your $1,200 phone. <laughs> So, uh, so my, my point is like not all electrical current is equal. So there might be like some products in this category that were bad at some point. I also remember reading this study maybe 15 years ago. I have a photographic memory. So like, okay, I remember, I actually remember a few sentences out of that study, but I know I haven't seen it in 15 years. Mm. Well, hopefully uh, things have improved since. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, any, any 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 information on that? Any updates on that? That would be great. Um, cellular agent. Because mm. I know a few, you know, biohackers that talk about it quite a lot. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think the most known one is Ben Greenfield. Probably know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've been on his show twice. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's okay. great. Yeah, he's a he's a big X3 fan. He put it in his book. Oh right. Okay, okay. I need yeah, to come to page book. Huh? His 600-page his book. <laughs> it's like, why, man? No. You couldn't have done two? Uh, yeah. 300-page books? I don't know. And that was short, shortened, wasn't it? I think it was more. And it was, it was more with the references. So he made the references available online, which yeah. makes them very difficult to look up. But... You know, whatever. <laughs> he, did, he did the work. He wrote it. Yeah, yeah. I talked to him a couple of times while I was writing it. And I was like, wow. Like, well, I know. I mean, when I wrote this last book and, and when I wrote the the other two books I've written, you know, like I'm a pain in the ass when I'm writing. Mm. What are the other two which you wrote? Uh, one's called Unbreakable. And the other one is uh, Tony Robbins did the forward to that. Because uh, he's involved in osteostrong, and then uh, and then the first one was osteogenic loading, which uh, is osteogenic loading. Genic loading. Yeah, I mean loading to create bone. Um, that book is as exciting as the title. <laughs> Don't read it. Right. Don't right. read that. Oh, funny thing, uh, at. Uh, um, at the University of East London, I was in their like medical library and I saw like six copies of my book there. Right. I was like, awesome. Look at that. Medical <laughs> library. 
Nice, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, well, it's I think it's because the you know the principal investigator, brilliant guy, his name is Basil Hunt. Uh, uh, he's professor there, and so I, I think it had a lot to do with the university's involvement. But I just thought it was so cool, and I just happened to be walking through a library, and I'm like, that's six copies of my book. That's cool, man. That's got yeah. a little pretty good. And I even opened it up, and people checked it out. no one's ever checked oh come on oh Oh, dude that it's a boring book don't ever read (laughs) like it's it's basically like an adaptation of my phd dissertation oh god so Mm. yeah i mean i had the writing and it was just like i wanted to write a more academically focused book it was sort of like to establish credibility Mm-hmm. And it did. It, it worked really well. A lot of physicians read it and were like, wow, like this is this is totally fresh thinking on the subject. Like, I really like it. And, um, you know, but as we've been discussing people like one sentence of science is like enough to turn somebody off. Yeah. So, yeah. It really well, and, then, and then look at look at how the world has been jerked around over the last year over science like we're making all these decisions with science and then you look at what they're doing and you're like okay show me the study oh there's no study so not science yeah the decisions were made for political reasons not for science at all but you know yeah it's the world we live in that's yeah that's a subject for another day (laughs) that's that's a whole nother podcast right there I, I have done this where I have actually sort of accidentally turned a podcast about health into talking about, you know, like geopolitics, not specifically like, you know, pandemics or anything like that. But, but um, yeah, I, I, it's, we live in a weird time where uh, there, there are the people in power believe that the people need to be manipulated. And I'm not exactly sure why, because I'm not exactly sure of what their upside is. Like, why? Like, like, why don't we just, like, right now we're worried about, and your country, my country, we're worried about nonsensical stuff. Like, the stuff that shows up on the news is, like, not a problem. What about jobs? Like, those aren't doing so great. Like, are we talking about that? Is it something anyone cares about? Because last I checked, that's who earns the money so the government can then take it away in form of taxes and then pay for firefighters and police officers and roads and street lights and clean water, you know, shit that everyone needs. Like, we just forgetting about that? We're going to go into debt for that? That's not going to last very long. So, Yeah. So unfortunately, I didn't hijack your podcast to make all my crazy political statements, which are actually nonpartisan. People ask me all the time, what are your politics? And I'm like, I think transgender couples should be able to defend their marijuana farms with fully automatic weapons. <laughs> so say that again. What? I think transgender couples. Yeah. I mean, someone wants to do that. OK, good for you. Transgender couples should be able to defend their marijuana farms. Hey, you want people are smoking weed, then you should be selling it. That's capitalism. 
I think they should defend them with fully automatic weapons. Because <laughs> people steal that shit. You should shoot them. Like, my point uh, is, I'm all over the place. I'm not like a conservative. I'm not like a liberal. I just think about these things independently, as we all should. Yeah. And, and, and right now, it's like, that. that's not allowed. Like, you have to agree with the people who are in power, or you're like in trouble. Like, yeah. How is that democracy? Mm. So, you see how easy it is for me to hijack this shit? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's, it's all good. It's autopilot for me. <laughs> we could talk about it maybe on a on a live somewhere or something like that. But this was great. What's wrong yeah. with the world? Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, you want Roger. <laughs> But look, we could man, have a good show. We could do we could do that regularly. It'd be better than Jimmy Savile's show. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? The good news is now you can compare anything to Jimmy Savile's show, and everyone will be like, "Oh, it'd be much better than that." <laughs> oh, I was there God. when all that shit went down, and really? like the BBC had covered covered for it, and I, I was just like blown away. Like, like I'm asking everybody. I was in Northern England at the time, and I'm asking everyone is this like a big national tragedy? And people would be like, yes. And I'm like, well, why doesn't anyone want to talk about it? And they're like, well, because it's a big tragedy. <laughs> like, we don't want to talk about it. We want to think about our, our people doing that. And I was like, interesting. Because Americans love throwing Americans under the bus. Yeah. 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 English people, mm, they don't do that. Different parts. Um, yeah, you know, like, all that stuff about the royal family um yeah there was many discussions on that in the in the in the papers magazines and stuff i don't know i, I think i think we kind of like it here as well a part of it we, we love a bit of um just drama oh yeah. yeah yeah in fact the more i mean this this was also like years and years ago when we were little kids like the fact that Prince Charles was like, you know, cheating on his wife. <laughs> like, I, I mean, from a PR perspective, it gave the royal family so much attention. And they thrive on. <laughs> like, they're not after the money mm. that's given to them, you know, state gift. But like their relevance in parliament, unless there's some sort of veto power that they have that has never been published mm -hmm. like their voice in parliament is just a voice it's not a vote yeah but their voice in parliament counts the more people are talking about the royal family so they should have more scandals they're probably they working have more, they should have more people quit the royal family and walk away in disgust that's 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 headlines right there you yeah. know Harry's like, do you know what? I quit. Like, what? Yeah, Last time know. I heard of that was in Coming to America. Where, right. um, <laughs> right. yeah. I renounced my throne. Off. Yep. That was <laughs> right. Legit. Yeah. God, that movie was perfect. I never saw the sequel. Did you? I did. I did. It was. I was it told was, not to see it. It it depends if if you're if you're one to think do you know what that movie is a it's a classic it, they shouldn't have done the next one then you might not want to watch it but if you watch it as a standalone movie unbiased no comparison 
you might enjoy it. You're not okay. going to the cinema. You okay. could watch it in the TV, you know, a couple of mates. And I thought it was good. I actually enjoyed it. I thought, oh. you know what? Yeah, cool job. I was happy to see some of the cast come back together. And I don't know, just, just, uh, uh, sh sh just show us where they are now. Like, thank you. Like, let's bring, bring some closure to it now. Thank you. I like I, it. Well, I, the original I, Coming to America was one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. So, yeah. yeah. Like, just, oh, and the fake McDonald's place. Like, just <laughs> everything about that was just crazy. Um, no. Yeah, I, was, I was never more excited about I, I think that and Beverly Hills Cop were like Eddie Murphy's best. Yeah. And uh, he was my favorite comedian when I was a kid, by far. I mean, he's God. a... He's a that's an amazing guy. He's loved by pretty much all the comedians. He's like, you know, the goat, as they call it. You know, right, right. he's also a nice guy. Like mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't rattle anybody's cage. Like there's some other people in the comedy industry that don't really work well with people, which is kind of crazy for a comedian. I know, you'd right? Think. You'd have to be like, you'd have to be able to like tap into somebody's like you know, soul to get them to laugh, like consistently, like they do. But you know, some of them just don't like people. That's, that's so weird. Mm. But um, look, <laughs> it's been great, man. It's been great. Let's, let's catch up again. Let's catch All up. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking online. Yeah, for sure. John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really yeah. has. Thank you. And um, I'll speak to you real soon. Thanks for coming okay. on Project Snipe. All right. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.